Hey, Adam. Hey, hey John Lee. How hey. are you? Good. Just, yeah, good. In the summer of 2021, I got on a call with Adam. Excuse my tired voice. I've been out reporting all week. Where are you? I'm back in Tegucigalpa, choppering around with a wealthy guy whose plantations and uh, wilderness reserve is in a, in a kind of narco area. So, Did you buy any good drugs? or? <laughs> you know, the last guys were making going all through the motions that they had nothing to do with it. So, no, what can I say? <laughs> Adam called me because he said he had big news about Havana Syndrome that no one else was reporting. Yeah, yeah so I, I wanted to let you know that I, I had a meeting the other day with a source um, who told me that 25, roughly 24, 25, were hit in Vienna. Jesus Christ. All of it, um, you know, basically starting two months after the inauguration of Joseph Biden. Christ Almighty, this year, wow. You know, I don't know enough yet to know what it means. And I, I can tell that the Americans aren't sure either, you know, what it, what it means. What's so interesting here too, is they, they managed to keep it secret, even though there's a large number of victims. So, you know, I, I kind of feel like we should maybe go. I'm John Lee Anderson. And I'm Adam Entis. From Vice World News, this is Obama Syndrome. Episode 7, Vienna Rules. By the end of the Trump presidency, in January of 2021, the number of suspected Havana Syndrome cases is skyrocketing. And that's because after years of the government turning a blind eye to possible cases, it's starting to actually look for them. Towards the end of Trump's time in office, the Pentagon is getting involved and the CIA sends out a memo to thousands of its employees around the world asking them to report any unexplained illnesses. Several other agencies send similar notes to their staff. The government is basically casting a wide net, trying to catch anything that could turn out to be connected to Havana Syndrome. In the months that follow, hundreds of reports of unexplained illnesses pour in. It seems like every day there's a new case being reported somewhere. In Germany... German police are investigating cases of the mysterious Havana syndrome at the U.S. Embassy in Berlin. In Colombia... And in India... Central Intelligence Agency, Havana Syndrome ka attack kiya Vietnam. A visit by Vice President Kamala Harris to Vietnam in August was delayed when several U.S. personnel there reported symptoms and at least two had to be medevaced. And the stands, Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan. Then early last year, I was meeting a high-level source for drinks and he told me that the White House was freaking out about the biggest possible outbreak outside of Havana. Apparently in the first few months of 2021, there was a huge cluster of cases in Austria. 
I broke the story in The New Yorker, and pretty quickly it was all over the news. We are vigorously investigating reports of possible unexplained health incidents among U.S. Embassy Vienna. So the symptoms are sounding very much like the Havana syndrome symptoms. There is a history, of course, going back to the Cold War of spies and counter spies in the city because it was so close to the former Soviet Union. But this is a different time and place. that moment as often yeah. as I can, yeah. right? Okay, where, where are we, guys? Uh, I have no idea. We're in the old Habsburgian, you know, the kind of patrician tranche of Vienna. We are here because uh, this is the largest cluster of Havana syndrome cases outside of Havana itself. And we have come to Vienna to get a sense of the environment where this took place. I've got to be honest, I've always hated Vienna. It all started for me when a sadistic dentist gave me a root canal here once. You ever seen Marathon Man? It was like one of those scenes. I was Dustin Hoffman. But I let myself get talked into coming back here to see if we might learn anything new about Havana Syndrome by focusing in on these Austria incidents. Um, this is the American embassy. It's a Habsburg palace. Look at that. To be clear, the U.S. embassy is not literally a Habsburg palace. It just looks like one. This is a secure building. I mean, what do you mean secure? What makes you say that? Well, there's a big security gate, uh, a 10-foot uh, metal security gate around this building. Anyway, we visited the embassy and checked out its strange-looking windows. They've really screwed over the windows. It looks like a elementary you know, schoolhouse actually, you know in what? Virginia. That, that may be... Remember we, when, we, when we talked to the ambassador in Moscow and he said one way to deal with microwave is a metal mesh? Uh-huh, yes. And if you look up... It looks like all the windows are covered with metal mesh. Why would the blinds be closed? Here they're not, but over here they are. Oh, yeah, so they are. But I, but I have no idea if there's any connection between, between them. We asked the State Department what that metal mesh was for, but they declined to tell us. We're here looking for clues as to what happened, but we didn't have a lot to go on. The thing is, it's taken me years to slowly piece together the story of Havana Syndrome. Most of the people who've had incidents don't want to talk, and to this day I haven't been able to talk to anyone who got sick in Vienna. But there are other reasons to be here. Because when we heard about the cases here, it actually kind of made sense to me that of all the cities in the world, Vienna would be a prime location for a rash of unexplained illnesses. And we thought maybe we'd find evidence here that would help us figure out what is causing the spread of Havana syndrome. The city has a long history of being a hotbed of espionage. Vienna has always been this kind of oasis where, you know, people don't really do anything to each other and everybody's here. Um, you know, you have the UN, you have pretty much every embassy on Earth is here. I think even the North Koreans are here, aren't they? I mean, years ago, I was here to meet Saddam's ambassador, which is why I ended up here. And that was actually the, the first time I came to, to Vienna, so that was, that was 20 years ago. Among spies, Vienna is considered a sort of sacred neutral ground. Which actually dates back to the end of World War II. For a while after the war, the Americans and the Soviets occupied different parts of the city. But they also decided to make it part of a neutral zone. And within that zone, something really crazy started to happen. American and Russian spies started meeting up in cafes and talking to one another. Something that really didn't happen anywhere else. 
This is the environment that inspired the likes of Graham Greene and Jean Le Carré, a spy's playground, a place of intrigue and deceit. Famously, Green's Third Man evoked the era when the Allied powers shared Vienna and what it took to survive it all. The hijackers had help from inside our station here in Vienna. We need to find out if we had a mole. Even today, Hollywood loves to situate spy thrillers in Vienna. Welcome to Vienna, Benji. Miss me? Hard not to think about it when you're here. The history's everywhere, because when Austria once again became a sovereign nation, their government decided to make the whole country a neutral ground as far as espionage was concerned. The rules were simple. Within Austria, any country could spy on any other country as long as they didn't hurt each other or spy on the Austrian government. These rules became known as the Vienna Rules. Because of the Vienna Rules, Austria is the only country on Earth where many spy activities are legal. Throughout the Cold War, Vienna was a place where spies often crossed paths and tried to recruit each other. And even after the war, things continued to happen in Austria that basically couldn't happen anywhere else in the world. Like in 2010, there was this story coming out of Vienna that felt like it was of another era. Two planes, one Russian, one American, parked side by side on the tarmac at Vienna Airport for about an hour and a half as vehicles shuttled between them. Those people boarding that Russian plane, they're all suspected Russian spies. It's been a quarter of a century since the world has seen a spy swap like this. They were all flying home to Russia after spending months or even years imprisoned in the United States. And the other plane was flying back to the U.S. carrying four suspected American spies who'd been in Russian prisons. After pleading guilty to acting as illegal agents in the U.S., it's believed the Russian spies are on their way to Moscow. Some, or perhaps all, were on this jet that landed in Vienna. It parked on the tarmac next to a Russian airline. The Austrian government for decades has tried to remain neutral and maintain good relations with both East and West. But over the last few years, as Russia and the U.S. have become more confrontational, they've been trying to force Austria to pick sides. And that competition for Austria's allegiance may, in fact, be the most important clue in figuring out why so many American spies may have gotten sick in Vienna. I'm good. How are you, Ambassador? Good, thanks. Hi. Trevor Trena has a lot of experience wrangling U.S.-Austrian relations. I am Trevor Trena, and I was, until January of this year, the United States Ambassador to the Republic of Austria. His familiarity with the country goes pretty far back. My grandfather was ambassador to Austria from 1975 to 1977. Even though I was a very young boy, I remembered vividly the tales of Soviet espionage. And I remember that my grandfather had to take a different route to the embassy every single day. And one day the route led to a dead end alley. And my grandfather was furious that his life had been endangered by someone who had not uh, read a map correctly. So I understood that where East met West, a lot of chicanery happened. In February 2018, when Trump picked Trevor to become ambassador to Austria, the administration's priority was to pull Austria closer to the United States and further away from Russia. 
My goal was to remind Austria, hey, you're a Western democracy, just like America, and and you belong in, in this club. I think the competition for the hearts and minds, both of Austrians and all Europeans, is a decades-long game. And I think my contribution was just to take it to the next level and say, I'm not here to just, you know, compete. I'm here to win. When Trevor arrives, he hits the ground running. He gets Austria's head of state invitations to the White House. And in the early days of the COVID pandemic, Trevor arranges for the donation of half a million U.S.-made masks, which are given to children and the elderly all over the country. According to Trevor, stuff like this, in diplomatic terms at least, is a big deal. But in this battle for Austria's heart, Trevor's not the only competitor. I had a very nice, if formal, relationship with the Russian ambassador to Austria, and we sort of approached each other like two sumo in the ring. I was clear-eyed about the game he was trying to play, and I'm sure he was aware of the game I was trying to play. Austria is like right at the top of the pantheon of countries that the Russians respect and focus on and want the respect of. In fact, there are rumors that Putin himself owns a house somewhere in Austria on a lake. In mid-2018, the Austrian foreign minister sees President Vladimir Putin at an event in Vienna. There was an event early in my tenure. And a seemingly minor exchange has international repercussions in sort of a plucky move, handed him a printed invitation to her wedding. And he, sensing opportunity, immediately accepted. And this created a huge conundrum. Diplomatic meetings at that level with someone like Putin, they're usually so formal and heavily choreographed. And so in this case, the wedding created a tricky situation for everyone, including American officials like Trevor, who hate the thought that this makes it seem as though the Russians have an advantage over them with the Austrians. So I just started to think about, okay, what can I do to take advantage of this situation? And so when Putin actually shows up at the wedding... (laughs) Putin actually gives her like a gift, right? When he... When he arrives or hands her a bouquet of flowers or something like this, right? So he, what is what is Putin's goal by being there? I think from a chess point of view, it was a masterful move by him. You know, he saw an opportunity, he took it, and I respect that. I think it was very clever. <laughs> the wedding ceremony proceeds. Afterwards, there's music, dancing, and then... Putin takes the foreign minister by the hand and starts dancing with her. And in the course of that dance... There was a very public moment where she kind of curtsied to him. From a diplomatic point of view of the optics, looked really terrible, like Austria bowing to Russia. But for Trevor, there's a silver lining. So I instantly sensed that this was a fabulous opportunity for me to kind of come in really more like the aggrieved victim here. A week later, he goes on Austrian TV and gets asked about the curtsy. His answer? If one fancies oneself a bridge builder, uh, then you better be sure you're building the bridge to both sides. And I think that comment reverberated all over the country. Reverberated might sound over the top to American ears, 
But Trevor's right. Austria wants to be on very good terms with the U.S., so if the American ambassador criticizes a top Austrian official, that's a big deal. People lose their jobs over shit like that. It was also a pivotal moment in the relationship. This is not long after the Russians blatantly attempted to assassinate the double agent, Sergei Skripal, in England by poisoning him and his daughter. The Americans, the Brits, and other allies had coordinated a response. They wanted to expel Russian diplomats and suspected spies from postings around the world, and they wanted Austria to join the campaign. They thought Russia's actions were such a heinous and flagrant violation of norms that the famously cautious Austrians would get off the fence, but they didn't. So literally, dancing with Putin just added insult to injury. Soon, though, Trevor says that the situation starts to turn in his favor. I think that one thing that really benefited me is that Putin made a couple big missteps while I was there. There were a couple very high-profile data hacks that affected the coalition government that seemed to have the fingerprints of the Russians on them. Also, there was a very high-profile case where a senior Austrian military official was caught spying for the Russians and put on trial. The senior military official was a retired colonel in the Austrian military who'd been passing secrets to the Russians for at least 25 years. In exchange, the Russians paid him the equivalent of $300,000. And then, at the start of 2020, the straw that breaks the camel's back, Austria discovers that a Russian diplomat has been spying on and stealing technology from an Austrian company. In a short time span, the Russians are caught twice violating one of the Vienna rules. In Vienna, you can spy on anyone except for the locals. Trevor says he pushes the Austrians to respond forcefully, and they do. We actually were able to get one Russian official PNG'd, or persona non grata, which that, that never happens, ever, ever. Austria kicks out the Russian who's been posing as a diplomat to spy on the tech firm, which is a huge deal. This is the first time that Vienna has been so confrontational with the Russian government. And Russia's pissed. They retaliate by expelling a couple of Austrian diplomats. Suddenly, Austrian-Russian relations are at their worst point since World War II, which Trevor, of course, loves. The Russians ended up with kind of dirty hands publicly, and we took advantage of that. And this is how it comes back to Havana Syndrome. When Trevor left Vienna at the end of Trump's presidency, he felt good about the work he'd done there. But after his departure, as far as I can tell, things went downhill quickly. More possible cases of so-called Havana syndrome are now popping up in Austria's capital, Vienna. Uh, I'm told by people close to the situation that they started happening in the early months of the Biden administration. So this recent spate uh, involves more than 20 officers. It was a mix of intelligence officers, uh, diplomats, and other U.S. officials who were stationed in Vienna. The suspected Havana Syndrome incidents in Vienna all happened after Trevor was gone. It's unclear if the outbreak is connected to the tug-of-war that Trevor was a part of. But if Russia is behind the Havana Syndrome, then maybe making a bunch of CIA officers sick in Vienna could be retaliation for the U.S. driving a wedge between Russia and Austria. 
I think as a diplomat, you hate to think of anything that could go on that could harm the lives or the well-being of other diplomats. I don't know who or what could be responsible for these attacks, but if, let's just use the argument, if it were the Russians, it would really be quite a foolish thing because they're already a tiny bit in the punch bowl with the Austrians. And if it came out that they were involved in this, it's a very high risk thing because the Austrians would think so unkindly about this that it could forever change the relationship. So if it is a, a world power doing this, and if they do run the risk of being caught, they're, they're playing a very dangerous game. More after the break. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In our last episode, we briefly mentioned the case of a CIA officer who believes he got hit in Moscow. But what we haven't told you is that that is one of the first cases of the illness to hit outside of Cuba. I traveled to Moscow in December of 2017. It was a 10-day trip. Um, I was, at that time, I was the deputy chief of operations in what we call the Europe and Eurasia Mission Center. So that's, you know, uh, an area which encompasses everything from, you know, from Dublin all the way to the, you know, the most eastern time zones of, of, of Russia. So a huge expanse. For most of his career, Mark Polymeropoulos was an undercover CIA operations officer. I think of him as the real-life Jason Bourne. Mark had served in conflict zones around the world, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, places where you can easily be killed. But by 2017, he'd been in the agency for decades and was in a more senior role. And he wasn't undercover anymore. In fact, during his trip to Moscow, he was actually meeting with Russian intelligence. So, um, and so but how, do, how do those meetings work? I mean, can so they're, you they're kind friendly of describe enough. It? I mean, it's business-like. That's not, you well, know, you're... But what do you sit down and say, hi there, Boris, I'm here to spy on you and... <laughs> No, I mean, it's, a, it's, an, you know, it's an open liaison channel. So, that, you know, this is not a secret operation. It's called liaison. It seems counterintuitive, but senior American and Russian intelligence officers do communicate with each other. They have periodic meetings to discuss possible ways to work together, mainly when it comes to counterterrorism. But a few days after he arrives, Mark wakes up in the middle of the night in his hotel room. My, uh, the room was spitting, so I had a splitting headache. I had tinnitus, which is ringing in your ears. He has some of the same symptoms as other patients with Havana syndrome. Vertigo, ringing in the ears, nausea. I joke, I joke around and say you're like the Jason Bourne with TBI. Like. Yeah, you know, I've certainly been under some high-pressure situations. Uh, you know, I've been in embassies that were attacked. You know, Al-Qaeda, you know, car bombs have hit the back gate. 
Um, but ultimately, this was the most terrifying experience uh, of my life because I lost control. Mark had believed that the trip to Russia was low risk. Remember, he was not undercover there. He was there openly meeting with Russian intelligence. He thought he was safe. But since this happened to him, his perspective has changed. I, I got much smarter on this, of course, in the last you know couple of years. So there has been an incredible kind of progression of, of uh, you know of attacks on our diplomatic personnel for decades. You know, when we talk about you know the things called like Moscow rules or a gentleman's agreement not to hurt each other, I mean, you can also make an argument that the Russians really never respected that. Gentleman's agreement refers to the idea that the U.S. and Russia have a tacit understanding that basically says you can fuck around as much as you want, but you don't physically hurt each other's spies. Obviously, Mark doesn't place much faith in that. You know, if they are behind this now, certainly they've taken it to a, to a new level. So here we have a very experienced CIA officer who is suggesting that Russia might be behind the Havana Syndrome. And then when the dozens of cases in Vienna pop up, I can't help but think that what happened in Vienna and what happened in Havana were really similar. These are the two biggest outbreaks of Havana Syndrome that we know about. They both happened during U.S. presidential transitions. Havana cases started in 2016, Obama to Trump, and then Vienna at the end of 2020, Trump to Biden, which is a very unstable time in the U.S., Both outbreaks also happened in countries that are diplomatic battlefields for the Americans and Russians. So to me, these Havana Syndrome incidents are of a kind. They bear a signature on them. And it seems to me that the signature is Russian. Well, John Lee, I think you know my stance. The only evidence I see linking Russia to Havana Syndrome is circumstantial. And of course, Russia has denied any involvement in any incidents. Maybe so, but follow me for a minute. So let's just say that Havana Syndrome is real, and that whoever attacked U.S. spies in Vienna is playing a very dangerous game, to use Trevor Trainer's words. Which country has shown time and time again the audacity to interfere in other countries' politics and physically hurt people on foreign territory? The United States? Yeah, okay, fair the U.S., but so has Russia. Take, for instance, the American presidential election in 2016. Whether or not you believe Russia colluded with Donald Trump, they certainly tried to influence the election. The White House punishing Russia in part for interfering in the U.S. election. President Obama taking executive action, expelling 35 Russian diplomats, giving them and their families just 72 hours to get out. And where I live in the U.K., the Russians have tried to assassinate people or actually killed them a number of times in the last few decades. In 2006, Russia was linked to the poisoning of former KGB officer Alexander Litvinenko in London. And then, just a few years ago... The former Russian spy poisoned by a nerve agent in Britain has been discharged from the hospital. Sergei Skripal was found collapsed on a bench along with... As we've mentioned, it was Sergei Skirpal, one of the spies who'd been part of that big swap in Vienna, who was later poisoned in Salisbury. Britain accused Russia of being behind that nerve agent attack, but Russia has denied any involvement in the poisoning. The Havana Syndrome incidents in Vienna aren't the first time that Russia has been suspected of attacking its opponents on Austrian soil. In 2020, 
there was a high-profile murder case directly linked to Russia. Chechens in exile take to the streets near the Russian embassy in Vienna. Protests have been growing since the killing of a strident critic of Kremlin-backed Chechnya leader Ramzan Kadyrov. Saturday's attack was the latest in a string of killings of Chechens who have a background in the anti-Russian insurgency. It was the fourth violent attack on Chechens living inside the European Union within the past year. And after all that, early this morning, if anyone wondered how far Putin would go, the Russian assault on Ukraine began with missile attacks on key targets. Russia invaded Ukraine, and the dangerous game got a lot more dangerous. I mean, this is obviously a lot of circumstantial evidence that doesn't prove Russia is connected to the Havana Syndrome incidents not in Cuba or in Vienna. And the U.S. does plenty of targeted killings around the world. We're not exactly innocents. The United States can certainly be the aggressor. The bottom line for me is that we don't know for sure what happened in Austria. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, Adam here. Uh, John Lee. I hope you're doing well. Throughout the course of our reporting, we've had a WhatsApp group with a production team where Adam and I have been sending each other voice memos to share reporting and leads. We also send each other random messages. Gracias. El arroz está muy rica. Like when Adam shows off his Spanish. Rico. This was ahead of our Cuba trip. Adam was showing why he could easily be taken for a hapless American tourist. We also send each other funny stickers, make dumb jokes, Mostly about our producer, Jesse, being a vegetarian. Very dumb joke. <laughs> but sometimes Adam sends a voice memo in which he's actually breaking some news. Like in February. Listen, I just got off the phone uh, with senior U.S. intelligence officials um, regarding the intelligence community's expert panel findings. Super interesting. Before we get to exactly what he said, you need to know the context. Just two weeks before, the CIA had done something quite extraordinary. It made a public announcement. A new interim report from the CIA says most cases of Havana syndrome are the result of other illnesses or environmental factors and are not the work of a foreign adversary. That was pretty stunning. The CIA, not famous for making preemptive statements about anything, had come out to say that most of the cases said to be Havana syndrome are nothing more than environmental factors or psychogenic. Remember that the CIA had asked its staff to report any odd health symptoms that they had experienced that couldn't be explained. Other government agencies had done the same, and that huge dragnet brought in around 1,700 cases. And a lot of those reported cases barely qualified, things like runny noses, mild headaches, food poisoning, etc. In other words, most of those cases that were reported could not plausibly have been Havana syndrome. Unfortunately, the CIA announcement wasn't very specific. It didn't say whether or not the CIA believed the Havana syndrome outbreak in Vienna was real. But to add another head-spinning detail to all of this, we do know that the CIA actually fired the head of its station in Vienna because he wasn't taking the Havana syndrome outbreak seriously enough. We asked the CIA about the removal of the station chief, but they wouldn't comment on it. A lot of people thought the CIA announcement disqualifying hundreds of cases was big news, and it gave the skeptics something to crow about. From their point of view, 
the CIA was effectively saying there's nothing to see here. But I personally thought it didn't solve the mystery. It didn't address the cases that we've been focusing on, like what happened to Tony and Tina. But then things got even more confusing. Because two weeks after that CIA report comes out, I'm in South America, and I get this voice memo from Adam. He'd just gotten off the phone with a group of senior U.S. intelligence officials. They were telling me about a separate report written by a panel of outside experts brought in by the intelligence community to examine what could have caused these symptoms. Effectively, what they uh, have decided is that they don't believe that psychogenic factors explain these core cases, the ones that we've been talking to, the people that we've been talking to, so the ones in Havana and other places that describe a directional uh, nature of the pressure that they feel and the sound, they're basically saying that they don't think psychogenic factors play a role in, in those injuries. They found that pulsed electromagnetic energy plausibly explains the core characteristics of Havana syndrome in these cases. And specifically, what they found was that it is possible to generate the required energy in a concealable way with moderate power requirements. This is critical, because in our previous episode, we talked to a weapons expert who told us that there wasn't a way to generate enough power for a weapon that could cause Havana syndrome. Adam's news made it seem like the U.S. intelligence community disagreed. And after getting this voicemail, I didn't know what to think. And I still don't. Adam, that's, uh, that's amazing. Thanks for the call. I, uh, this feels like Groundhog Day to me. It's, it's back to the beginning. On the final episode of Havana Syndrome, we do just that. We go back to the beginning. One of the sayings in the intelligence community is... Admit nothing, deny everything, and, and make counter-accusations. So the facts were against them. Everything was against them, so they had to make ad hominem attacks to discredit the doctors, the patients, and everyone. Havana Syndrome is hosted and reported by Adam Entus and me, John Lee Anderson. It's produced and reported by Julia Nutter, Jesse Alejandro Cottrell, and Ramon Campos Iriarte, and edited and executive produced by Annie Aviles and Kate Osborne, with original composition and sound design by Steve Bone. <laughs> <laughs> 